0: This is the Masters of Cinema. My name is Joaquin Thiessen. And uh, my name is Tom Jennings. And today we will be talking about Douglas Sirk's A Time to Love and A Time to Die. This is our 35th episode of Masters of Cinema Cast. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this film. It was one of the the discoveries of last year that I popped in on a Sunday evening and had my cup of tea and uh, just really enjoyed myself.
1: Yes, yeah, certainly. It was a film where I could it caught me completely by surprise and i think it kind of um it brought out a kind of an inner sap in me i think mm. this film i was quite surprised by not how taken it was by but kind of how quite emotional i got whilst i was watching it and it's definitely one of those definitely one of those films where i think if someone told me about it on paper i wouldn't mm. be that interested in it and then it was until I actually watched it myself that I suddenly realised that I really, really, really do like this film quite considerably.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's the one where the premise, it doesn't really sound that convincing, but there's something about Cirque's approach to the to the whole story that really makes it all come together. But um, this is based on a novel by Erich Maria Remarque, and he also has a cameo as... A, professor Pullman, actually in the film and uh, uh mr remark he also wrote that uh, all quiet on the western front novel uh, which is a film that has definitely similarities with this one have you seen uh, all quiet
1: oh yes certainly yeah um i yeah. actually picked up the blue ray a-, a while back actually and um i've gone back to it since and yeah it, there is a kind of I mean, I think obviously kind of it's the same often. I did kind of detect the kind of the crossover that goes on between these films and they're very kind of inward looking I think mm. looks at war and it was, it was one of the things that became quite apparent to me when I was watching this again was the fact that I, I was acutely aware of the fact that you're watching a film which is essentially about the Germans and mm. after all you know, they were kind of the bad guys in the war and traditionally when we kind of see them in in war films they are you know portrayed as that um, portrayed sorry as that and w- one of the reasons why i love this so much and all quiet on the western front is i think it reduces warfare down to an, almost kind of like a human level where it mm-hmm. doesn't look kind of at the politics we, i mean i'll probably get to that in a minute but the, 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 you suddenly start seeing these people just as people in this kind of a horrendous kind of situation and you can kind of identify with what you're seeing in terms of kind of very you know, human emotions and kind of people kind of falling in love and the kind of the tragedy of it. And I noticed it about both these, both these films. And I although I think kind of all quiet on the Western front is probably um, the better film. I think this is probably my favorite of the two. I think it's my, I think I prefer this one. If I'm okay.
0: Ready. Sadly, I didn't get around to all quiet this time around, but I seem to remember being, Really, like flabbergasted over that film, Mm. and uh, I think we you were talking about how this takes an inward look at the Germans and how it humanizes them. I think just to bring up my biggest problem with this film from the start, it kind of portrays German soldiers in a way that
1: I can't really. I know where you're about to go, and I know where you're going with it. Where it's they're they're only doing what they're told.
0: That, yeah, that's what exactly. It. He he's he kind of pits the Gestapo against the rest of the German soldiers, and of course they all just doing what they're told. They really don't want to be there. And even when he returns home for the first time, it's like he walks up to window and he sees a horse, and you couldn't go for the American audience sympathy more.
1: Yeah, um, well, I think we I think that's the, we have to make kind of a, a distinction here, and I think it's one of the things which there, there there's a difference between the German army and the SS. And I, I don't for a second think that the German army were the most noblest of people during the course <laughs> of of the war. I think, you know, all, history and fact simply shows that there were some absolutely horrific atrocities committed by the German army. There was absolutely yeah. no doubt about it. And, you have to then say there's a difference between the Germans and the Nazis. You know, let's, let's make one thing clear. I mean, this was the political party that had its armed wing, which was the SS. And those were mm-hmm. the ones who controlled the concentration camps. They were the hardcore Nazis. I mean, these were the people who swore an oath, you know, to, to the party and, you know, would die for the party and the most kind of the fanatics as it were. And I think what this film does, and it does a lot of, it does a lot of what a, a lot of war films do in the 1950s. I mean, I, I, which is kind of it. There was this. There's this, a lack of triumphalism about a lot of war films in the 50s, and I think in particular films, kind of like the Cruel Sea and the damn Busters and um, Ice Cold in Alex, where it was kind of like you know, yeah, they were Germans, but there were some good ones in there as well. And this kind of the sense of the fact, not not so much kind of like the damn Busters and things like that, but they're films which I think begin to kind of look at the war in a different way, which is being this kind of huge human tragedy. And I mean, millions of Germans died during the war. And I'm actually listening to an audiobook at the moment about um, the British bomber command during the war. And it, it's one of those kind of strange things. It's a good job we did win the war, because if we didn't, there would be so many people up there on war crimes, tra- trials. I mean, we you know, directly targeted and obliterated civilians. For fun, for with this kind of ideal that by somehow if you killed as many civilians as you could, it would somehow kind of destroy the troops' morale and it would somehow crush the country like that. And it was a completely kind of failed premise, really. You know, it, it simply didn't work. And I think what this film does, and there was a lot, I know there was a lot of national soul-searching that went on um, later on in kind of the 50s and especially the early 60s is about to, you know, what we actually did do to Germany. Um, you know, it was a we, we were essentially fighting a war of extermination, and I think the, what, the reason why this film gets away with what it does is I think it kind of it rides on that a little bit. And you know, when at the start, when they're having to shoot those partisans and they're making mm. them dig their own graves, and you, you can sit there and and you can say, "Oh, you know, the film says says, "Oh, they don't want to do it." You know, they're only doing it because they've been ordered to do it, and it's it's this horrendous kind of deed that they're having to do it. Now, I've seen countless footage. Um, and and pictures of civilians being lined up and shot during the war. Yeah, you there's know, some of them are completely iconic. And I can't believe, deep down, that every person who's pulling the trigger wants to be doing it. No. And I mean, I I was um, I was reading. It's a brilliant. That's actually no, it's a TV series. And I think it's called. It's the Nazis: A Warning from History. And it's from the BBC. And there's lots of interviews on that as well from German officers, you know, regular German soldiers who were who kind of questioned what the SS were doing and who did did make complaints formally at the time as to what was going on and were either shot or imprisoned or kind of given dishonourable discharges. So although I think it does paint a kind of very kind of, oh, these guys, these poor guys are only doing what they've been told, part of me can forgive it anyway, I think, mm-hmm. for, for that. And the film does show, it, it does counter the kind of... Um, these people don't want to be doing what they're doing with people who do want to be doing what yeah. you're doing. So I, I do think it gives you the kind of the yin and the yang a little bit, but I do know what you mean. It does seem a little bit rose-tinted, but in the purpose of the film, let's not forget this is a melodrama. Yeah. And I don't say the word melodrama in a derogatory context either. I think melodrama in films... I called someone at work melodramatic the other day um, because they were being melodramatic, and I did mean <laughs> it in a derogatory in a derogatory way. But I don't think in terms of when a film's being melodramatic, um, especially in the case of this, where I think it's done so well, and it's—I don't think it's, it's trying. I don't think it's trying to be subtle either. I think that's kind of—if you were to say—you know—it's—it it, it, it is kind of being pretty much on the nose. And I think, for those kind of reasons, I can look over those types of those moments mm-hmm. in the film.
0: I think. I think I read that uh, he had a son that he didn't knew, know about, uh, who he found out later fought on the German side, and this is kind of a, uh, an ode to his son that he didn't know, but what mm-hmm. he. Had liked to think that that son was like, and even though it has this, it has this kind of fantastical story, a romanticized story that we've been talking about. It has that pretty grueling nihilistic opening with the thawing of the dead soldier in the snow, and how blasé they've become about death. And it really do speak to the the horrors of the war here in the beginning, both in not only in the physical deaths that they are encountering, but also how man's kind of mind has become distorted by the war and that opening tells that in a very effective and efficient way
1: yeah and i mean it's 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 a film it's a war film staple isn't it that i mean yeah. platoon had that god or yeah, it does have that god awful you know, um tagline you know, i think is it was it innocence is the first casualty of war or something preposterous like that mm. and um, you see this who are just battered down by life and yeah that that bit with the kind of the body soaring and it kind of it struck me as well that that to them is an indicator that the seasons are changing. Mm-hmm. You know, not kind of the leaves or, you know, when you kind of, you, you walk out on a kind of a spring morning and you always think, oh, spring is in the air. There's that little kind <laughs> of like, there's a little hint of of warmth or something like that. Or when the evenings starts to get a little longer, you know, as we're heading towards winter. And in this, it's because like all the bodies are starting to kind of come up from the snow. And you sort of think, oh God, that's just a horrendous... Yeah, and a uh, horrendous thing to think about. And they're looking mm-hmm. down at the body, and they're kind of, well, you know, dig him out, and oh, well, be careful with the shovel, he's one of ours, and then. That Paul, the, the young guy that shoots himself, he, he says something like oh, he's crying, and it's because his eyes are frozen solid, and it's like, <laughs> and there's a, there's a line or something like that. I think where he says like the water's kind of um, defrosting on his eyes or something, yeah, very mm. kind of poetic or something like that. And yeah, it, it's all in there, and I, I think it it sets up the premise of the film, which is basically these guys are all right, and you should care about them. I think that's yeah. what's going on. Really,
0: mm. the film it deals with these kind of minor things, the everydayness of. Of the characters Uh, after that opening sequence where uh, where the main character, he gets sent home on a furlough. um, The characters he meets along the way, they're kind of representations of the war experience in some way or another. And it's kind of in the same way that war has come to these characters and impinged on their lives. He kind of does so... On the the drama that circus creating, he's kind of setting up this melodrama, but that is that is constantly constantly being interrupted by these characters or war experiences that is, that are coming.
1: Yeah, well, he's he's trying to show you every side of what you know, of what war is, and especially I'm I mean, one of the things I really like about this film is that you have these guys who are out there on the front who are kind of doing all these deeds and you know apparently protecting the motherland, and he goes back and. Ernst pretty quickly realizes that this kind of utopia and idea that they're fighting for i right, you know nationalist socialism um, is actually a complete farce because mm-hmm. the country is being absolutely obliterated and the film's set in nineteen forty four and it doesn't specify when i don 't know if it specifies at the latter end or the beginning of but n- nineteen forty four was kind of the turning point really we had um you know d day being in June of that year and the kind of the Soviets were kind of marching across the country. And I think in in this film, there's definitely the sense that they're actually retreating away, aren't they? So the war is pretty much lost by this point, and the, the mm. country's being bombed night and day by the Americans and the British. And when Ernst goes back, you can kind of see it's the society that's beginning to break down. Mm. Um, because you have his despicable friend, Oscar, who's this kind of um, Nazi party kind of poster boy, really, who's kind of having these debauched parties. And you can kind of tell that when everything was going fine and dandy they probably were pretty good friends but now he's kind of seen the other side of things he's like well actually um oscar doesn't you know he's he's clearly going a little bit crazy and you can guarantee that when they do get invaded oscar's going to be put up against the wall and shot because he keeps making those kind of rather uh, really horrible comments about sending people to the concentration camps and all this kind of thing and i think what circ does really well and again i think it kind of comes back to the fact where the sympathy of the you simpies in the film line is the fact that you can, you you like Ernst despite the fact that he is technically the enemy,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you, you almost kind of when the kind of the air raids are coming that you care about him even though it's our guys that are doing the bombing, and I don't know and I mean this is, I might be kind of a bit of a stab in the dark but I'm sort of thinking by the time obviously this film being made the kind of the Cold War is kind of in full swing mm-hmm. and the Soviets are the baddies and perhaps it's kind of. Because it, obviously it's set on the kind of the the, uh, the eastern front, and I think that's quite a marked thing because it's kind of like you know, these guys are going to be the baddies anyway. So is, is that a kind of way of kind of softening us up? I don't know. Yeah,
0: but they they're meeting those um, those Russian prisoners in the beginning, and they're basically shooting them in in cold blood. I don't know if they are if Cirque is betraying the Russians in a. Bad lights. is oh, that no, what you're saying no right?
1: no, no, no. I'm, I'm saying because it's the russians we can cut kind of, if it was set you know in the fields of france oh
0: yeah after the, the yeah. day after
1: d-day and they were you know shooting british yeah. and Americans. so you know would we be a bit more bothered by it i don't know yeah. when you think but because it's the russians i don't know Become common enemy yeah is it sort of is it does it kind of dilute the horror of it a little bit i don't mm-hmm. know i mean that bit where the you know the woman's just hurting you know hurling abuse at them and, and stuff and I'm sort of thinking this is the 50s. You know, films are nice in this time, surely. <laughs> and then, yeah, they do waste there. It, and it's just, yeah, it's it's brutal, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. It doesn't shy away from the fact that what these people are doing. I mean, I know they, they they show them looking away and kind of you know, their eyes are down. But I uh, mm. I really admire it. I think it's quite a daring opening.
0: Mm-hmm. But he kind of leaves that when uh, Ernst, goes to the town and he meets... um he meets that um, the lady played by Liselotte Pulver. Well where... yeah, Elizabeth. Elizabeth, yeah. And it starts this kind of melodrama, this romance between the two. But constantly, is he's, he's, they are they are interrupted. Their love is interrupted by bombings and the German war machine, or they are kept in Germany because they can't really go anywhere else because of the animosity towards the Germans and the rest of the world. But it's, it does that very effective balancing of the forces of war uh, and the melodrama and pitting like the war genre up against this melodrama and giving us both sides of that one.
1: Yeah, certainly. And, and obviously, at the end of the day, this is a, it's a tragedy, this film. Yeah. That, that's what it is. And it, I, mean, I suppose I'm going to have to kind of spoiler alert and give away the ending here. But everything in this film... Is specifically designed to make you feel the last few moments of it, mm-hmm. and and get that tragedy. And there's that kind of, he, he kind of puts these things in like you know when he goes to get the marriage certificate and he accidentally puts the uh, the cat down, <laughs> and, and oh god, you know that was her cue to run off, and he runs down, and he, oh, but she's just she's just there, she's not fully, Oh, and you're like, oh, thank god. <laughs> and you think, like, Oscar's going to sell him out and he does it. And there's all these little things. And, you know, is he going to tell her about the dad's ashes? And, oh, yeah, he does. And thank God, they get through all this adversity. And you're thinking, oh, yeah, he's going he's to make it. He's going to make it. And then, mm. yeah, Cirque does something which is pretty cruel and harsh, I think, the end, <laughs> for the sake of the film. But that's the whole point of it. You know, you're meant to kind of... Their story, I think, is is supposed to represent a greater tragedy mm-hmm. and... Yeah, I think I think what this film is trying to do is reduce the kind of the huge and cataclysmic hell that was the war and kind of condense it into this very personal and very moving love story. Mm. And it, it it's one of those things, isn't it, where if you see a, a picture of a starving child, it hits you a lot worse if you see a picture of a thousand starving children. I think you can kind of rationalize it a little bit better when it's kind of on a smaller scale. Mm-hmm. And I sort of get the impression with with what with what's going on here is the fact that she's going to get the letter that he's died and this kind of life has been snuffed out. That was something that was repeated millions of times, tragically millions and millions of times. And I think that's what the film achieves really so well.
0: Mm-hmm. And if that child is played by someone like Haley Joel Osment when he was a star child, it would have less impact than when we're, they are going with unknowns, like yep. they are doing here. It it has more impact when you can't really... You don't know who these actors are, so you are looking at them as the characters. And perhaps this could have been a, a star vehicle, but it it seems far-fetched to think a star would play a german soldier so soon after the war
1: yeah and i think that's that's something about it as well it's clearly americans playing the role and i think yeah. that's another way that kind of cushions the blow that you're gonna yeah. to have to kind of like you, know, you, you don't feel so bad about liking germans with american accents and it's it's something which i kind of find sometimes if you have to kind of give it a pass don't you really Mm-hmm. You have to kind of suspend your disbelief that the fact that you know, it's, it's obviously... And they don't even try and hide the accents, do they? I mean, it's just no. all there. And it, Anyway, I quite admire that, to be brutally honest with you. I think it, it, it does kind of work because it it certainly worked for me anyway, I think. I, I, I'm not saying just because they were kind of American actors playing it, but I think because the performances are... I think they're pretty solid across the board, really, mm-hmm. in the film, and I...
0: I I was
1: quite happy to kind of go
0: with it on its terms. I wasn't too I wasn't too keen on the actor playing Ernst there. Like he has the looks, but his his acting is a bit bit woody to me. A bit like a bit stiff. Um I actually think when I was watching
1: it, do you know what performance wise what it actually reminded me of is Martin Freeman in The Hobbit. One of the reasons why I really haven't connected with those films at all. Um, despite the fact that they're ridiculously too long and you've sort of seen everything in them that you've seen in Lords of the Rings. One of the reasons I don't really like this film is because Martin Freeman's performance, I can tell so much. He's just literally being directed and told what to do. I don't get the impression that he is Bilbo Baggins, the character. He <laughs> is Bilbo, Baz, Bilbo Baggins that's been written and is being told what to do by Peter Jackson every kind of movement that he does and every kind of line reading feels like it's just come straight out of rehearsal and that's what you're getting, basically. He doesn't seem to have kind of inhibited... The, um, sorry, inhabited the character hmm. and is, is kind of making it his own. He just seems to be totally, totally almost robotic and phoned in. And it's strange because I think Martin Freeman's quite a good actor. And when I was watching this, I kind of felt like John Gavin, who's playing Ernst, is literally just doing what he's told. Hmm. You know, put your head... I mean. There's no better example when he's trying to kiss um, Lisbeth when they're by that lake, and he's kind of like, he's just like, oh, um, he keeps kind of like looking at her, then looking down ever so slowly, and you can tell he's just doing it on cue. You know that character doesn't want to be kissing. Her. He does the, the character. He's being told that he wants to kiss her, and he's acting in the way that he thinks he should do. You know, whilst being clearly told, right, look down. You know, on this on this line, look dramatically on this line try and move in for a kiss on this line and it's so obvious that that's what's going on and i can forgive it because it does work you're meant to kind of and he's a bit of a sap isn't he really i mean hmm. you know he, he's a he's a plot device really more yeah. than he's a character i think that's how i kind of look at Ernst. he
0: uh he, he's the reason why we have the movie but his character is the actor isn't really convincing enough to to um kind of carried the movie on his shoulders. But we do have some fine performances from uh, the girl playing Lisbeth and also many of the, like we mentioned, the guy playing, um, what's his face? Uh, Oscar. Oscar, yeah, yeah, uh, you you remember that actor afterwards because he's such a uh, gruesome character.
1: Yeah, and he's got the widest gaps between all of his <laughs> teeth I've ever seen. It's absolutely horrific. And I, I sort of think where did they find these people, you know? And, yeah. and I, what I love about the scene in his house, but there's the obligatory bald headed Nazi. Yeah. And it's like that. That guy. I mean, I, I swear to God, I watched the Valkyrie again the other day, and there's the obligatory bull headed Nazi, and that. And it's just like well, it seems to be the same guy. I don't know where they kind of find him, but <laughs> No, oh, he's a despicable person, Oscar, and that guy looks absolutely, absolutely horrible, hmm. and it worked really, really well. Yeah, well, I think so. Yeah, I, I'm going to kind of give, um, John Gavin a pass as earned because I think he's kind of he's a bit like, um. What's the guy's name in uh, Flash Gordon? What was he, Sam someone?
0: Okay, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, well, yeah, you've never seen the original Flash Gordon? No. Oh, the one from 80s? Yeah. Yeah, no, I gave up after they played, uh, I I think they started to play play, uh, football, American football, and I stopped there after about 15 minutes. I didn't, I couldn't get into it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you're missing out on one of the greatest films (laughs) <laughs> no, I can't even say that. You were missing out on the 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 best worst film ever made. But yeah, he, he sort of reminded me on that the character, you know, Flash Gordon that he's just being literally just told what to do and yeah. he's doing it and he's absolutely god awful and um Sam J. Jones, that's the that's the genius I'm thinking of. Um, I'm assuming you haven't seen Ted or didn't find Ted funny on the basis of that. Uh, I've seen Ted, but I didn't find it funny. (laughs) Ah, right. Well, um, I I feel a bit of a lad out there because growing up with Flash Gordon, I found Ted hilarious and when Sam Jones turned up in it. But yeah, it's that type of thing, you know, just turn up, say the lines and kind of look vaguely good looking and do as you're told. And yeah, it's foamed in, but you don't... I mean, would we really need some kind of method acting going on here? I don't think so.
0: It would have perhaps... Taking it above and beyond, but it definitely doesn't hurt the film in any kind of way in my eyes, at least. The film is quite episodic in a structure where there's, we talked about that scene where uh, they're getting their marriage certificate and he lays down a cap and she runs off, but there's no real like carry over until the next scene. Everything has like a cyclical nature where there's a threat in the scene and then there's a complication and then you have a clarity and resolution at the end of it and nothing really carries over until the next situation there's no real like overarching structured plot or a real epic story of any kind it's really kind of condensed into this love story and how can we portray this love story in different settings
1: yeah i mean there's that little kind of hook
0: where he's trying to find his parents yeah
1: and, but you really don't care. Yeah, it comes back to that, and it's like, it's like, yeah, For Christ's sake, you know. what I mean, if it means he doesn't have to look longingly at like a piece of paper or like look longingly at a kind of a board with notes stuck to it, I'm quite happy for Mum and Dad to never turn up in this film. Yeah. And, and, and I, I, mean, perhaps because I'm just a bit immature and stuff. I did, I did laugh when he kind of got that letter. Oh, they're alive! And it's like, oh thank God, you know. What I mean, they've been evacuated. Oh you know oh how, how that that's great and it's kind of it was written some time ago but anyway do you want to get married and it's kind <laughs> of like if you're that con- if you were that concerned i don't think you'd be hanging you know trying to pull women would you you'd be like no. if you, it's like you know if you got back you wouldn't be oh god i think my mum and dad might might be dead do you want to get married <laughs> you know like, like it suddenly makes sense but i mean in, in these types of films it does make sense but um yeah it's and and it's like I've cops I've caught grief for this before, but I, I have a thing in a, in a, in a lot of films. where I just don't buy how characters suddenly fall in love in the space of twenty minutes and kind of just suddenly decide to get married. And it's like in Blade Runner, that's the least convincing love story I can I can think of. As in Casablanca as well, I, you know, Rick and Elsa. I, I don't see what from what we see. I don't see where this love comes from. Mm. Um. And this film kind of falls into that category for me, because mm-hmm. at the start, she's like, oh, he's just a German soldier who wants to ply me with booze and rape me. And then 10 minutes later, she's like, I think I love you. Should we get married? And it's like, <laughs> it, 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 I don't know, I know, I know what he's trying to do. And obviously, it's a melodrama. and You have to kind of give it a pass in that respect. But you're completely right that how these scenes that are kind of just they are little kind of vignettes, really, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, all these little adversities that they have to get through, and they get through it, and they get through all these little things—the bombings and the Gestapo, and and who knows what—and I mean, the biggest I think letdown is, is is when he finds out about her father, and it's literally he kind of you know he's going to keep it from him, and He's like, oh, by the way, your dad's dead. Oh, never <laughs> mind. No, I know the whole pilot point of my character to exist is to be longing over my mum and dad, but now it's, oh, everything's fine. And it, it, it does get a little bit like that. It's like, come on, guys. But I mean, one thing I think this film does do, and it, it, it its running time doesn't go on too long. I think it's the perfect no. length, really. Because mm-hmm. if this was a three-hour type job, I'd be like, for God's sake. If David Lean had got his hands on this, <laughs> we would still be here now having started it last week. But... I think Cirque keeps it quite tight and quite concise, and I think that's very much to its uh, benefit.
0: Hmm. And Cirque, is really the attraction in this film for me. It isn't so much the story that we've been nitpicking. It's kind of this whole, like, this the Cirque veneer, this stylization, um where you have this, this sort of Hollywood shine to a genre that is really rarely treated with such, um, such stylization as Cirque does.
1: Well, he's taken the most basic and basic of stories and made what I consider to be a really beautiful film in many yeah. respects. I mean, I... Uh, There's a real sincerity in the picture here. Yeah, and it's... it's it, uh, you could so easily... I mean, I know we have been nitpicking, but I think that's... Uh, it kind of belies the fact that I do have a real uh, a huge regard for this film in so mm-hmm. many ways and just you know, the, the scope frame um he, i mean you think about when you're in a scope frame is you, you have to fill it you have to have things going on and just the kind of the way in which he directs it and the kind of the blocking and the camera movements mm. um it, it draws you into this world and the, the art design is absolutely brilliant on this you believe that they live in this kind of bombed out town and, and you, you totally go along with it and he just it's it's like it's like to, I guess it's like kind of. I use a really bad example, I guess, but James Cameron in Titanic took a love story that was so flimsy and awful, and I think made kind of a great film out mm-hmm. of it, just by sheer force of his direction. And I think <laughs> this this happens in this film as well. I think you, you you can't you can't help but get drawn into the world that he creates, and you can kind of just mm-hmm. sit back and I. It, it's it's interesting as well because. He lets the scenes go on for quite some time, yeah that there's a real kind of natural progression to them. There isn't loads of kind of cutting and editing and He just lets two people talk and'll we'll hold the camera there and he'll let them talk, start walking, and start tracking with them, and then he'll come back and forth and things like that and he doesn't get in the way of the film, and I think that's the mark of a really great director is sometimes I like a director because they do you are that their kind of hands are all over it, mm. and what I find with this is that. Although it's definitely very much a Douglas Sirk film, I'm never taken out of the film because I'm kind of thinking about he's being flashy as a director.
0: Mm. Um, a trademark of Sirk is the bold colours, but here is much more muted. And he's kind of fitted his approach with to the film by playing it to a more... Uh, a downwards, a, a toned-down approach, the murkier colours, and it fits the, the material and the subject matter all the mod, all the more so. But still, he manages to produce beautiful imagery just because there are grey tones and blue tones or brown tones in kind of this uh, dirty green tones. There are still beautiful imagery to be seen in this. And he actually went to Germany... Uh, about twenty years after he fled um, to film this, and that is also something that really benefits the film is that we have these actual bombed-out cities in the background.
1: Yeah, and it's and rightly so. I think it's a very much kind of a toned-down film. It did remind me a little bit of kind of Doctor Zhivago in yeah. some ways, which is one of my one, probably my favourite David Lean film. It's certainly one I can watch the most. But it kind of reminded me of that. You know, when they kind of they come back to Moscow after the revolution and he just kind of just drains the colour out of the film. And there's a brilliant moment in I think it kind of I, I, think, I think it kind of sums up tonally why it might look like it does because there's that bit where they find the tree and it's got into blossom. And the reason it's got into blossom is because the building next to it's been blown up and it's the heat that's been generated by that. Mm. And he could easily have kind of made it all kind of bright pinks and lovey dovey. But he he kind of keeps it kind of quite on the mellow down and he kind of juxtaposes what's actually happening you know it's it's supposed to be i suppose symbolic of their burgeoning love but he kind of like roots it in the fact that the only reason this has happened is because this terrible event is going on which is obviously Mm -hmm. the war and i i think it it balances that kind of stylistic look with its tone very well
0: Mm. are you familiar with cirque's other work
1: Um, i've seen a few and not as many as i should do i think um I've seen films like um, Time's Angels and All That
0: Heaven Allows. Mm. Uh, I'm not too familiar with his work myself, but from what I know, he seems to place these discontented characters in kind of lush surroundings with luxury furniture. It's high class. It's the attractiveness of the things in their life. Um, It seems like they represent an overcompensation for the dissatisfaction that the characters are... Uh, have beneath their surface but in this one it's kind of turned on its head where the characters they seem to yearn for some luxury they go by they go uh, out of their way to get some belgian chocolate they bluff their way into a fancy restaurant it it kind of plays on the the other side of the coin for Cirque
1: yeah and you look at the houses where they're living as well and they're kind of bombed out and awful and terrible and they're kind of kind of trying to Kind of, yeah, kind of have these kind of meager existences that, that yeah. are going on and yeah there's a real desperation to it i think and a real mm-hmm. melancholy as well and it, I, I often wonder um you know how 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 would we cope in this kind of adversity and i think that's the, the kind of the kind of the point of the film is is basically despite all these kind of awful things that are going on and the kind of horrific kind of the bombings and the gestapos and all that kind of thing that despite all that misery i think it's almost quite a positive outlook on the film mm. is that there is still room for people to fall in love and to enjoy the simple pleasures yeah. in life and I, I think i think that it's it's kind of a, a timely reminder really yeah. of that
0: yeah we, he's pitting this like inhumane situation with this myopic cynical uh existence with a love that is burgeoning, and you have you're, you're kind of hoping against hope that they will make it, but in the end you know, but it, it is that kind of uh, th- those two forces that are really attractive to watch in this film
1: and it makes it more universal as well, yeah. I mean you know what we're talking about at the start about this being a film technically about the enemy, but you know everyone's fallen in love before well, I hope everyone's fallen in love before, you know otherwise kind mm-hmm. of a pretty kind of sad existence but I mean, <laughs> I, I, it's it's kind of. It, you, you you can recognise that though that type of feeling and those kind of emotions that these kind of people are going through, and you can kind of just, you can you can root for them. I mm. think that's what I think that's what this this film does, and you want them to kind of come out the other side, and you kind of hope that he'll be one of the kind of the Germans who uh, you
0: know, who makes it out. And it's do you think it could have ended with him making it? I don't know. If I, I guess. Audience... The, I guess. I
1: guess the question is. I mean, honestly, how do you feel at the end of the film?
0: I, I I think it's a fitting end. I, I don't think I would have liked the film as much if they would have had a happy ending, with him surviving and getting the love of his life.
1: Because I mean, I, I've rewritten it several times before, and you can have the bomb going off, her getting the letter, that he's dead, and then the, the the train full of the casualties turns up, and they got the dog tags room confused and hey presto everything's fine <laughs> and all you can go through is and, he, and I, I personally think he, he kind of has to die at the yeah. end of this film for you to feel it and for it to kind of it work as a whole because you get all this kind of you know oh something awful might happen no it's not going to happen and he keeps playing with you like that mm-hmm. and were he to survive I think it would suddenly it would feel a bit fake a bit flat somehow yep. and I think by by doing what they do with it I think it suddenly condenses it all, and you said he do feel a bit I mean I, the first thing I thought when i when and it, it, i mean it, he he even gets the letter to say that she's pregnant, <laughs> just just to really kind of kick you in the nuts a little bit harder, you know what i mean it, it's it's you know I'm pregnant, oh, wonderful thing, and oh thank God this awful thing well, the kid's going to be an orphan, <laughs> you know bang, and he, he they even do it doesn't he he lets them go. That's the thing. He lets those partisans go because he feels so guilty about what he's had to do at the start of the film. And it all comes back to the start of the film, doesn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's again that cyclical nature of the film where it comes back to the situation he's been in. Uh, But this time he chooses another solution um, and it ends up Fighting him in the ass or in his yeah, back,
1: and uh, I mean, and then you sort of say to yourself, well, just shoot them." Just
0: you, you've been told what you need to do.
1: You, know I mean? you follow your orders, man, and just do what you do. But I mean, that's it. Isn't it? this this journey? I and mean, his character's changed, doesn't he? That's the kind of thing about he's gone back and he says that line to Oscar, doesn't he? Sometimes I, it's on the, it's along the lines of sometimes I wonder if I'm shooting the right people. Mm. And Oscar's like, "Ah, oh, you know, I'm. We're both drunk. I'll pretend you didn't say that because I'll have you sent to a concentration yeah, yeah, camp." Yeah, yeah. And there's a sense in that, and I, I, I kind of when I first watched the film, I knew he was going to have to do something, or he's going to have to kill someone to kind of live up to that line. Mm. It, it'd have to have meaning, and it's that. Um, you know, I can't remember who said it or who wrote it, but if you're going to spend ten minutes describing that gun that's on the wall in a in a novel you better use it somewhere along the line. And it it feels like a line that's, it's deliberately there to kind of lay you know, to kind of give you a moral quandary that happens later Mm. when he decides to kind of let the partisans go and hey, presto, one of them picks up the gun and shoots him. Mm. And that's the weird thing as well, because I I fully understand why that guy shot him. You you, you probably wonder that, you you probably think that guy's backstory is that his village has been burnt. His family has been shot or worse. Yeah, he must have been brutalized to hell. But when he does it, like, you bastard, you know, like, why didn't you just let him live? He's a nice guy, you know. And the letter falls into the river and he's leaning down to try and read it one last time. And um, it gets me, uh, you yeah. know, it, it does. It, it works for me. And I, I think it's it's testament really, I suppose, to kind of the fact that all my kind of cynicism and what I don't like in films, I almost get in this, it's so unsubtle. Mm-hmm. but for some reason it really does work
0: yeah kind of due to the fact that it is such a melodramatic film uh there's so much more i excuse and enjoy about it than i would a film that had um less of that kind of hollywood um hollywood feel to it
1: yeah i mean let's I mean, take it back to titanic i love titanic i will openly admit I, I, I really, really enjoy that film and I'm always absolutely gutted by the end of it. And the reason why is I think I go into Titanic with the attitude that I know this film is, isn't is subtle and it's not clever, but it is big and mm. it's kind of effective. Yeah. I mean, it, it always has been. And um, when people get a bit snobby about it, I'm like, well, you know, I can understand. I can see their criticisms and they, they always pick up on the some of the line readings and the... um the music and the effects look a bit crap now and stuff like that. But yeah, it it kind of works. And I mean, mean, one thing I would say about this film, it looks sublime. I mean, I think Titanic looks like a, it looks like a really bad computer game now in many respects. But this Mm. film, uh, it it holds up after all this time. And one of my biggest pet peeves about war films is lack of accuracy when it comes to things like uniforms and weapons. And if you look at this, I mean, it absolutely nails the the kind of the, the German soldier, how they look. Mm. And it yeah, you know, it has a real kind of authenticity about it. I think.
0: Mm. I, I, I'm not really an expert on on the uh, the German clothes of the of the war. But, I tell uh... you what,
1: one of the best exa- the best worst examples is one of my favourite films ever, which is um, uh, Frank J. Schaffner's Pan with mm-hmm. George C. Scott, and that's one of my all time favourite films. Yet one thing that really, really, really bothers me about it is that all the tanks in it are modern tanks. They're not. Um, the German ones, especially they use the Spanish army, basically. Okay. And, and every time I watch it, I think that's not a German tank. And it yeah, I know it's really petty, but it does sort of take <laughs> me out of it. But when I'm watching this, you kind of there's a, there's an authenticity about it, right down to kind of badges and caps and yeah. weapons that they're holding, and it makes me believe it a lot more. And things like when the, the like graffiti in the bomb shelter mm-hmm. and things like that, and they kind of show kind of these kind of drawings that have been scrawled onto the wall in you know in chalk, and yeah, I, I think from that. In, in that respect, I'm completely down with it at a minute, and I think that helps me kind of paper over kind of the slightly kind of well, the melodrama the the, the glaringly obvious and eye rolling melodrama of it. Sometimes I think I can kind of I can get over that because I'm so into the film.
0: Yeah, but uh, on the one hand, it isn't very subtle. It's very heavy handed. It's melodramatic. But on the other hand, one thing that I like when it comes to war films, that is a genre I. I don't really have an emotion for or against, but the ones that do it well, the ones I really remember are the ones that I are able to catch Like, It's something more than just good guys versus the bad guys. It goes for something more ambiguous and the moral struggle of it all. And this film, it's certainly um, a rarity uh, if it isn't unique. um, And it, it is a brave choice to portray a German soldier in such a way this isn't like a vehement anti-war film it's more of a melodrama and the struggle of normal existence in wartime but it really it really portrays that extraordinary situation and the the ordinary people that are in the situation
1: yeah, I mean, I, I would say actually, um, just on the kind of the subject of the subtlety, I don't think it's trying to be subtle. I think that's one thing you can kind of. I, I don't think it's. There's no, any, no, no. Uh, there's, there's no attempt at subtlety in it at all, so I can kind of like on that basis. I, it doesn't bother me that it's not so. But, I mean, I, have you ever seen The Best Years of Our Lives by William Wyler? No, I haven't. It's, it was made in 1946, and it was, you know, obviously the year after the war ended, and it's about a group of American soldiers that come home to a small town. And it's like, kind of like dealing with that you how know, to kind of make sense of everything that's happened. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a brilliant film. I, I can heartily recommend it. And I think this film does a very, very similar thing, which is it's not... It's so not a pro-war film. And I think a lot of films that come out there, they're kind of like pro-combat.
0: Mm-hmm. like
1: Black Hawk Down and Lone Survivor, which I, I did really enjoy much to some people's amusement. Um, I I I that'll be another day when I talk about Lone Survivor but yeah. um, they're films which are there to kind of they're there for the visceral punch of war they're there to show you that when you get shot in the leg it really hurts and they do it really well and I think films like The Messages of Our Lives and this they kind of show that other side which is the the human tragedy side mm. of it and the kind of the, the deeper impacts of it and I was, I was, I was having—I debating this with someone the other day, and I think we kind of briefly talked about it when we were talking on Messenger the other day. I want to see the Iraq war film about the family that live in Fallujah yeah. when the Americans attack it. That's the war film about Iraq that I really want to see. Um, I can't comment on American Sniper. I, I haven't seen it. I know there's kind of like everyone's wetting their pants on the internet about it, and I'm not really kind of particularly bothered. I will watch that film. Um, one way or the other, I might go to the cinema and watch it, or I might watch it when it comes on Sky or you know, rent it or something. I will end up watching it. Mm. But you just know that that film, in a way, is going to kind of make being a sniper sort of attractive mm-hmm. and sort of kind of make it cool and make it something which is... Again, as I haven't seen it, so I can't. I, I might be completely out, but you know, it's you kind of in a way. It, you know, it, it kind of vaguely glorifying what it's about.
0: Oh, definitely, it is. Yeah,
1: and it's like, look at this guy. He can shoot anyone, anywhere, whenever he wants, and he does it. But occasionally, he feels a bit guilty about it. That's what makes him human being. That's great. <laughs> I find films like this so much more powerful um, in terms of kind of what they say about war and conflict and what it does. And it offers a duality really, mm-hmm. um, because you know, this guy, for the one minute, he's kind of shooting unarmed civilians, including women, and then the next thing he's back at home trying to make sense of all that and kind of rationalise what he's done and obviously he realises that there is another way to what he's doing, He shouldn't just be following orders and you feel like the character has a genuine sense of progression and I think that's why war films like this, they don't when you think of the term, the war genre you don't kind of lump films like this in with it, but I think it's very important to put films, like and call this a war film Cause I yeah. think it is a war film. It's a film about war. And it's a film about all the effect war has on individuals. As are just kind of saying, "Hey, look, you know, doesn't isn't war hell like in Black Hawk Down? But these guys do look pretty cool whilst they're doing it. And I think that's the kind of thing you know. I, 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 and sometimes my eye roll. And by the way, I do love Black Hawk Down actually. In the films, <laughs> so and I love. And this is this is from the man who got really emotional at Lone Survivor. And I mean, yeah. really
0: emotional. So. <laughs> But but I'm with you. Um, but speaking of like American Sniper, it's it's a film where it it definitely glorifies the the trade of being a sniper, even though oh boohoo they I, come I mean, up. I, and and, in... and, and, and so so for for Christ's sake, it's called American Sniper. Yes, and he comes up in situations where it is. It's hard being an American sniper. Yeah. He has to like uh, he has to watch a little boy pick up a grenade and hoping oh. that he doesn't throw it against American soldiers. Oh. But it, it like Eastwood he does nothing to portray the the locals as human beings. Oh no, it's all about it's all about Bradley Cooper's character yeah. and how he's watching all of these. Oh, I mean, it's like. Well, well, I hate
1: Vietnam films with with quite a passion because
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I always have this overriding sense of irritation that they're just preaching to extremely naive people. Let's get some perspective here for a second, right? 55,000 ballpark figure American soldiers died in Vietnam. That is a horrific, awful thing. Three million Vietnamese people died
0: Mm.
1: in the Vietnam War. God knows how many in Laos and Cambodia where after it gave you know, rise to the Khmer Rouge, who, you know, they make they make ISIS look like amateurs that mm. lot. I mean, we are talking beyond evil. That's the tragedy of the Vietnam War. And every film you watch, you would think it was just Americans that suffered and Americans that, you know, kind of... It's this massive scar on that country. Well, you know, it, yeah, it, it is awful. No, I mean, it's It's utterly terrible what happened. Vietnam was on its knees. There was famine for years after that. I mean, it was just, watch any John Pilger film about Vietnam and Cambodia after that period. That's the tragedy of Vietnam. And it kind of gets kind of lost because we have a currency on life, don't we, where recently I noticed when ISIS beheaded someone, there was one um, white Caucasian and about 20 odd Syrians being Having their heads cut up at the same time, but the only conversation was the one white guy that had his head cut off. Yeah, the, the, those guys who were having they, they were someone's son, you know, they were someone's husband, you know, they had their own kids and, and things like that. But it was like almost like, and an, and and a white person died and some other guys, you know. That that was yeah. You know, we don't kind of think about tragedy and that, and it, it's this kind of it's this very kind of awkward thing I find with a lot of these types of film is that I sometimes feel that the the fact that we're not thinking about them in a wider context it's we just sort of say oh well you know platoon's about how awful it is being in vietnam yeah, just look at the other side for once and i think this film does that really well mm-hmm. and it's very daring in that respect and it's one of the reasons why i think i have such a lot of respect for it
0: yeah how do you feel about the 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 transfer on this one i in my eyes i do have some issues with it i find that there has been some noise reduction it seems, and some of the images are, like, slightly muddy as a result of that, but it definitely doesn't look bad in any way, but I can sort of sense that the, the edges are a bit sharpened uh, in some of the images.
1: Um. Well, actually, I've, I've watched it today, and I projected it out onto the screen, hmm. and I was pretty much blown away, actually, by how it okay. looked. My, my issue is it, and it's this is a film that was um, done in CinemaScope, and um, I think it was. I've got the Blu ray of The Big Country, which was another site, um, sorry, CinemaScope um, film. And I feel like the aspect ratio is slightly wrong. You can see some curvature to the image. And I, I, I don't know if it's been credited kind of think correct.
0: that's. I think that's because of the lenses that they used. it's a common, common yeah, mistake. And I, there. I, I'm
1: not sure if that can be rectified digitally. I hmm. don't know. Um, I, I would have thought you can do it. I mean, I shot some footage on GoPro the other day and the click of a button corrected it pretty hmm. well. And I, I just feel that they're. they're people's faces look a little bit squashed a, a, t- a tiny bit. I, but on the whole, I, I don't think, I didn't see much um, evidence really. I, I, I didn't feel that this film had been kind of scrubbed too much. And I did notice some kind of um, damage on the, on the negative as well. There's a few lines appeared at some, sometimes and I wasn't really kind of, I, I actually think it's quite a faithful transfer Um
0: mm. Speaking of the, the bonus features on this one, it has an excellent 49-minute uh, portrait of Douglas Sirk, which uh, it's an interview with both Sirk and his wife Hilda that covers a lot of different topics, both Cirque's visual style, the way the film is constructed, and the couple's flight from Germany. Did you watch uh, any other features?
1: I did, yeah. I watched all of them this, and I loved all of them actually. I yeah. thought it,
0: I thought they were re- really pretty great. And the 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 out there in the dark, the Wesley Strick talking about the novel. I I could have done without that that one.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I always not say anything. You know, you know that you know, bonuses are bonuses, aren't yeah. they? But I mean, I, I really enjoyed the kind of the essay that was kind of written by Jean Luc Godard. Yeah, yeah. On it, um, and. I've, I've always sort of struggled with that kind of cashes to cinema thing that you, you have kind of like cinema guys who make films being so brutal on people, other people that make films. <laughs> it's, that, it's one of the reasons why I'm not sure I mentioned it before, but I don't critique other podcasts other than the fact that if I don't like what I'm listening to, I just unsubscribe. But I would never go out my way to contact the person that did it or publicly state that I don't like someone else's podcast just because I sort of think having doing it myself. Yeah, and, you know, I, I I sort of feel it's like this kind of unwritten rule or something like that. And so when you have like filmmakers kind of trashing films, um, like they they were pretty brutal those guys, you know, <laughs> on, on other people's work. I sort of think, well, hang on a minute, you know how hard it is to make a film, and <laughs> you know, and and but when on the the, the upside, of that is like these are people who know the craft and they know the industry and they know what they, you know, they essentially pretty much know what they talk about. And I know it's mm-hmm. in that Godard kind of visual essay type thing. Um, lots of the thing you know, he was kind of picking up on things which i sort of got the impression was had he had another glass of wine he might be kind of completely trashing i don't know you know really <laughs> it, just, it still seemed like he was kind of like saying how much he loved the kind of the, the melodramatic nature of it and uh yeah i mean yeah I, I, I was completely you know totally interested in the todd haynes um it's quite interesting as well i thought
0: yeah and uh, there's also a great um, piece by Tag Gallagher in uh, The Booklet, um, which talks about uh, the film as well. So it uh, talks about circ and uh, melodrama. Um, so that is very interesting read. Uh, and I, I really do like the, the cover that they chose for the film. Uh, that poster looks amazing. Yeah,
1: and it kind of is... It, it kind of looks like it's kind of the wrong way round or something. You have the helmet on the backpack facing the other way. I had to look at it a few times before I could kind of like work out the image. But it kind of, it just sums up the film really well. And I think it's sort of, as we said, this isn't a film, um, you know, it's not a, a Time to Love and a Time to Die with John Wayne <clears throat> or, or, or you know, kind of uh, Marlon Brando. I yeah. think it's, it, it's the film, it, I think the film is the selling point of it rather than it being a kind of a star vehicle. And I get that impression when I see the poster
0: yeah we can start wrapping things up tom where can we reach you online and what's going on with the 24 frames it well? is
1: still going folks i am i have had a few emails and i'm getting so many downloads and i feel a bit guilty about the amount of kind of interest there is in it and the fact that hasn't been anything there will be there will be stuff coming up very very soon i've got a massive backlog to get through mm. um, unfortunately work is getting in the way at the moment um and uh, it's just kind of my my day seems to be spent working incredibly hard, getting home late, and it's some of the things that get in the way, like eating and uh, having a glass of wine and watching films. So it's definitely happening. There will be more. So I can only apologise for the delay and um, to the per- <laughs> to the kind person that emailed and offered to pay me to do, to do more <laughs> episodes. I, I did. I did. And you know who you are. I did. Um. That was an incredibly nice gesture of you, um, but I would never accept Blue rays payment. But if anyone wants to send me Blue rays payment, my address is... Just email me and I'll let you know. So, um, I we'll be coming back out. It's 24framescast.blogspot.com. You can follow me on Twitter at 24framescast.
0: And you can follow us on... Uh... MOC underscore cast on twitter you can follow us on uh, moccast.blogspot.com or criterioncast.com and you can email us at mastersofcinemacast at gmail.com and uh, i've said this before i've said it several times and i will say it again please do leave us a written review on itunes it really does help us to gain in listenership and it's um just a, a way for us to get noticed really
1: yeah and i would say actually if anyone can explain the massive amount of likes we've been having on facebook recently
0: yes um, if if anyone can explain where this
1: is coming from why you send anyone who's liked us over the past three weeks can you just let us know why you liked us and where that came from because i keep getting loads of messages on facebook about how many people like it it's all very positive i'm just extremely intrigued as to know where all this like is coming from yeah good stuff
0: so uh thank you tom for joining me thank you very much mate and until next time goodbye
1: One second, mate. Sorry, so, Sort me out. Cat's going crazy. Mm.
0: I'm getting a lot of f- a lot of feedback. Yeah, and
1: uh, um, that's my cat playing in a bag. Ah,
0: uh, okay. <laughs> I
1: th- what is it? When as soon as I record, those two just start acting like absolute dicks. Hang on. What are you doing? <laughs> Honest to God, they're normally asleep. I just cannot. <laughs> like, it's like, I oh, um, So, yeah. It, it reminds me of Martin Freep. Oh, for fuck's sake. Sorry, hang on, hang on. I'm gonna, I'm going to scream.